Good morning. What wonderful worship uh, our worship team is listening this morning. We give them a hand. Thank you so much. Gracious God, we thank you that you have called us to be here today on this uh, July 4th weekend. We thank you that you have a word for us today. And I pray that you would awaken within us a desire to, to be your people, that we would humble ourselves today in your presence, that we would seek your face in prayer, that we would turn away from the things that keep us from you. And Father God, we pray that you would hear our prayers. We pray that you would heal our land. So God, speak through my words, speak into each of us today. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, it's great to have all of you here today. It's especially good to have uh, Lynn's mom and dad with us, or sister here this uh, July uh, 4th weekend. Uh, as we think about our country and, and our servants that serve our nation and our uh, counties and our state, uh, Lynn's mom is in uh, just beginning her 24th or 25th year as the auditor of Horry County. And so give her, a, give them a warm welcome and a hand. Thank you. Now, in two days, we celebrate America's 241st birthday. And aren't we blessed to live in such a great nation as America? Can we get a second of that? Yeah, we got a lot of people wanting to get into this country uh, because it's a great place to live. We're very blessed here. And as Nick mentioned, we're very thankful for the men and women who have served and fought for freedoms that we enjoy. Those who have made the ultimate sacrifice so we can have the freedom to worship here today without threat. And we sing God bless America because we know that it's God's blessings that has made this country what it is. We also sing God bless America because we want God to bless America again. And it goes without saying that our nation and our culture is growing more and more secular every day. We are removing God from the public square and we wonder why we struggle with more and more violent crime, more and more brokenness in families, poverty, social injustice, and just decadence. We have moved away from our God who wants to bless us as a people. Bill Baltonite, Dr. Baltonite, who's preaching in the auditorium, he and I collaborated together on this message and he, gave, he, he gives a great synopsis of kind of the struggles that have happened in America in the 21st century. That it began with 9-11 attack upon our nation where 3,000 of our citizens were murdered by Islamic terrorists. And every year or so, we have other terrorists attacked from Boston to Orlando. And just the fear of terrorism, of violence, we're all much more aware of that now. On the economic front that we have suffered through a long and difficult recession and we're slowly emerging from it. That we run up a debt, a national debt of over $20 trillion that we'll pass on to our children and our grandchildren and no politician, liberal or conservative, has offered a realistic plan on how to deal with that. Civil discourse is now toxic in our country. Differences of opinions are not tolerated, even on our college campuses. And we, we saw what happened in Virginia 
on June 14th when a gunman tried to take out a political opponent. We're aware of the drug addiction that strikes our urban parts of our nation, but now there's a more deadly opiate crisis that's sweeping across this country, in this community. In America's churches, we have problems too. Virtually all mainline denominations have been declining in membership and in worship attendance. Many churches have drifted away from biblical authority and the primary mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And in light of all these problems and challenges, and there's many more, many thoughtful people have said, where is God in all of this? Is it in vain that we sing, God bless America? George Washington, our founding father, said, it's impossible to govern a nation without God in the Bible. And the more we drift away from God and the more we ignore the Bible, the more difficult it is to rule a nation. This past May, Lynn and I were blessed to spend several days at the Cove, the Billy Graham Training Center, with a great spiritual giant named Doug Stringer. We were also blessed to meet Dr. Tom Phillips. Uh, Tom Phillips is the vice president of the Billy Graham Association, the executive director of the Billy Graham Library. And I'm really excited to announce that he'll be preaching for us here in November at Mount Horeb. He's written a new book called Jesus Now, God is Up to Something Big. And in light of our struggles as a nation, in light of the struggles in the world, We believe that God is up to something big. And today we want to share what God is up to. He shared with us about awakenings, about revivals, renewals that that have taken place in our history, but also are taking place in our world. He shared that Dr. Graham prays every morning that God will bring an awakening to the world and into this country and that believes that God is actually keeping him alive so he can witness that firsthand. So as I came back from the cove, I had an aching for an awakening, both within me and for this church and community, county and country. I've been challenging our men's prayer breakfast. We come together and pray Every Friday morning at 6.45 a.m., we've been, we've been praying for an awakening that begins within us and spreads throughout the community and the county and the country. I believe that God is up to something big, and I want to be a part of what God is doing in the world, and I want you to be a part of what God is doing in the world. While America struggles, God doesn't struggle. Amen? Amen. Nations may struggle, but God doesn't struggle. God is up to something big, and you and I have the opportunity to join God in something big. I want to give you, after doing a lot of studying and reading, some examples of great awakenings, some things that have happened in our history or the world and where God is moving. I can't cover all of them. I'm going to lift up two or three to you this morning. The first I want to tell you about is a fascinating an awakening that happened in the Herbides Islands. Now, where, on the, where in the world are the Herbides Islands? They're off the coast of Scotland. It was in 1949, and 
the churches were growing empty. The young people had left the churches and many of them were about to close. So a small group of men began to meet in a barn to pray. As they began to meet and pray, the words of 2 Chronicles seven fourteen came to them. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, forgive their sins and restore their land. For five months, these men prayed three nights a week, oftentimes until four o'clock in the morning, aching for an awakening. And finally, one night a young man rose from his knees and began to read Psalm 24, verses three and five. It goes like this, who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord or who shall stand in his holy place? He that has clean hands and a pure heart, he shall receive the blessings of the Lord. And these men who've been praying together for five months, three nights a week, sometimes to four o'clock in the morning, they fell to their knees in confession. And they began to be convicted that maybe we're the problem. Maybe they were the ones that need to be made right with God. And they began to seek his grace in their lives in a new and different way. And at 5 a.m., they were awakened as the glory of God filled that barn. And they received a word from God that said in two weeks, I will send upon this community an awakening that you've never seen before. They contacted an evangelist named Reverend Duncan Campbell, a man of great prayer. And he said, God wants you to come and lead this awakening in two weeks. He said, I'd love to, but I'm already booked. I'm already booked. I'm not available till next year. They said, no, you're coming in two weeks. And sure enough, his speaking engagement was canceled. And he came and began to preach. Now, as they gathered that first night for this awakening, nothing really exceptional happened. The evangelist uh, was a bit discouraged. But the people said, don't be discouraged. God is coming to do something great. Let's go pray again. They went to a nearby cottage and they, about 30 of them knelt in prayer. And about 3 a.m., these people were serious about prayer. About 3 a.m., God showed up and brought the awakening they'd been seeking they've been aching for. As they left the cottage at 3 a.m., all the lights in the town were on. The people were out in the streets praying. God's spirit had fallen upon that community. People couldn't sleep. They were awakened by the power of God. There were three town drunks that were found lying in the road, crying for God's forgiveness and calling for God's grace upon their life. And that night, long before social media had ever been thought of, that night, buses came from all over the island, people crowding into the church, more than can get into the church. And there were seven men that were in a truck coming to the church when the Spirit of God fell upon them in the truck, and those seven men gave their life to Jesus before they ever even arrived at the church. As the pastor preached, tears rolled down the faces of men and women. As, those, as that second service was ending, a young man began to pray with a burden in his heart. And as they prayed and he prayed, 
people started showing up outside. And soon there was more people outside than there was inside the church. And that meeting lasted until 4 a.m. in the morning. As it broke up, someone came and says, Pastor, I need you. There's a crowd of people at the police station and they're weeping. They want someone to pray for them. And the pastor went to the police station. He said, I saw a sight I never thought I would see. I saw hundreds of people in prayer on their knees asking for God to touch their lives. It seems that nearly 600 people on their way to the church, just like it happened to the Apostle Paul on the Damascus Road in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit came upon those 600 people and they had to stop where they were and bow before the presence of Almighty God and lives were changed. That revival lasted for five weeks. Services were held four times a night at seven in one church, at 10 in another church, a third at midnight, and back to the first church at 3 a.m. Five weeks, people aching for an awakening in God's spirit moved across an entire island. I read about something called the Appalachian Awakening. I'm from Appalachia. I can appreciate this one. It was in 2016 in a small town in Mingo County, West Virginia. An awakening broke out when a young man, a high school student at Logan County High School, did an impromptu sermon at his high school. And through that message and others, 400 students came to know Jesus as their Savior. And in that little town of 27,000, 3,000 people were converted. And this youth pastor said, man didn't start this. God's breath blew over the region and awakened us. God's breath blew over the region and awakened us. God's breath blew over an island and awakened the people. In 2 Chronicles, God is saying, if my people will humble themselves and pray, my breath will blow across them. I'm aching for that awakening, for God's breath to blow across the region called Lexington County, for God's breath to blow across a state called South Carolina, across a nation called America, across a world that belongs to God, aching for an awakening. There's something called the Pulse Movement. In 2004, Nick Hall was a junior at North Dakota State University. He wrote a paper on how to reach his generation with the gospel. And the paper that he wrote went viral. And students began a a student-led initiative to change their campus. And that spread to other campuses. And to date, 525,000 young adults have given their life to Jesus Christ through that movement. It's called the Pulse Movement. And I love their mission statement. Our mission is to awaken the culture to the reality of Jesus. Amen? To awaken the culture to the reality of Jesus. Now, you're here this morning. You've been in the presence of Jesus here this morning. You're aware of the reality of Jesus, but there are thousands of people that live all around us in this community that are not aware of the reality of Jesus. They may know there's a church on the corner there or a church on the corner over there, but they've never experienced the reality of Jesus. But when God's spirit breathes across a region, people become aware of the reality of Jesus Christ, that God's son is alive and God's son is real and God's son can change people's lives. 
on their website, they have this statement, what if the party of the year, what if the party of the year was all about Jesus? On every college campus. What about if the party of the year was all about Jesus? Now, I'm going to step on some toes here right now. But what about if the tailgating event for the Wildcats and the Gamecocks was all about Jesus? Question? Or put your, put your you know, team in there, whatever it is. But what if our lives began to be all about the reality of Jesus Christ? And how would that change the region, the community, the world that we live in? No question God has blessed this church over the past 24 years. One of the key catalysts has been our commitment to pray. And we are a vibrant, healthy, growing church. And it would be tempting to ignore the challenges that our community is facing. It would be tempting to ignore the cultural attacks on our faith. But I believe we need to have an aching for an awakening for our region, for this community. And we need to be asking God to do something great in this community. We need to be asking God to do something great in this county. We need to be asking God to do something great in this country and in this world. And God is looking for a people who will humble themselves and pray and turn from the ways that aren't pleasing to God. And God will move. I love the definition of revival kind of in the Old Testament meaning. It simply means wake up and live. Wake up and live into the reality of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life abundant. The reality of Jesus Christ in your life. Martin Lloyd-Jones said it this way, revival is consciousness of the presence of God literally in the midst of the people. God's presence is in the midst of the people. That's what an awakening is, is God's presence is in the midst of your life 24-7. Not just on a Sunday, not just in a small group gathering, but God's presence is with you and God's presence moves into your company and God's presence moves into your school and God's presence moves into your government and God's presence moves into the, into the whole country, into the whole county. See, that's, that's what God wants to do. This, this is not something we got to talk God into doing. This is what God wants to do with his people called people earth, people on the planet. Revival in another way is his arrival. It's when God's spirit shows up in powerful ways. So I ask you a question as we think about, as I read about these awakenings and there are many other awakenings I can talk to you about. Why not us? Why not here? And why not now? I'm praying that God will give you an awakening in your heart. And one of the keys as I look at all of these and one of the keys in studying what God does is I want you to hear this. When God does a great awakening in, in, in a place, in a region, in a county, in a country, it's always incarnational before it's institutional. See, God works in people before he works in institutions. We spend a lot of time trying to save an institution and God's wanting to save people. God's movement starts in people, people like you, people like me. And God is looking for his people who will be willing to be used by God to change the institutions with his power and his might. It always starts incarnationally and, and it never stays in an institution. God's spirit moves in this place. It should never stay here. 
It's got to be incarnational. You got to take God with you where you live and where you work and where you serve. It's got to be incarnational. You look at what's going on in China. You're talking about incarnational Christianity. Did you know in, in the next 10 years, there'll be more Christians in China than there are people in the U.S.? That's truly amazing. And the communist institution is doing everything in their power to wipe it out. But God is moving in mighty ways and there is no explanation. In the next few years, there'll be more United Methodists in Africa than there will be in the U.S. Because God is doing a mighty work where people are willing to turn to God and humble themselves and get rid of their pride and get rid of their pretenses and allow God to move in mighty ways. Aching for an awakening. Now, very simply, there's a, there's a recipe for this. I've read it twice already. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I'll restore their land. You know, what a great verse of scripture. Now, let me give you some context to this verse. This verse that is found in 2 Chronicles is a part of the incredible event of where the temple was built. That Solomon has just finished the temple of God. This incredible structure that's described in Chronicles. And they've had great worship and God is moving in mighty ways and the people are excited. And then God says, by the way, when you stumble, when you remove me from the public square, I will respond if you will humble yourselves and pray. And I love it goes on in, in this chapter and it says, uh, my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to every prayer made in this place. For I've chosen this temple. I have chosen this temple and set it apart to be holy, a place where my name will be honored forever. I will always watch over it for it is dear to my heart. I have chosen this temple. Where is the temple of God today? It's not right here in this building. It's in your heart. God's temple is in you. And God wants to hear your prayers. And God wants to move to your request. And God wants to use you to make a difference in this world. And to bring about his will, bring about his purpose. Now, we've had a great two years at Mount Horeb. It's incredible. I mean, God's what God's done in this building. But it's not about the building. It's about what you do when you leave the building. It's what I do when I leave the building where God does great things. So as we think about the recipe, I want to give you four things that the people of Mount Horeb need to do coming out of an incredible uh, two years, what God said to the, to the uh, Israelites coming out of the building of the temple. I'm going to give them to you real quickly. Number one is you got to stay low. What does that mean? Stay low, humble yourselves. It's not about me. It's about God. It's not about you. It's about God. To, to humble ourselves, stay low. Is you stop making excuses for yourself. Stop making excuses for myself. Stay low. Rely on God's power instead of our power. Admit, admit that we are part of the problem. Those men in Scotland had to get on the knees and admit that they were part of the problem. They've been praying for five months, three nights a week to 4 a.m., but God convicted them they were part of the problem. And when they realized that they were part of the problem, they humbled themselves. God moved in mighty ways. Do we believe that we're not smart enough and not rich enough and not powerful enough to solve the problems that we have in this country? Will we admit that? We can't do it. I can't fix the problems in my life. I can't do it. God, I need your help in my life. 
I can't fix this, fix this situation. God, I need your help to fix this situation. We've got to humble ourselves. Number two, we've got to stay near. Pray and seek God's face. I've learned, I heard a phrase in getting ready for all this over the last several weeks is something called soaking prayer. Soaking prayer. Where we stay in the presence of God and God's spirit begins to soak us. Too often times we're like that thunderstorm, right? That thunderstorm that drops torrents of rain. We're really on fire. We're, things are going great. There's a lot of rain coming. It's great. And then boom, it's gone. And it's sunny and it's hot and all the water went away real quickly. But isn't it great when you get a soaking rain? Just enjoy the, the, the rain coming and it just soaks the earth. And the earth, the water doesn't run off because it's just getting soaked. That's what it means to stay near to God, to be in the soaking presence of God. I need more of that in my life. I love the story of Gypsy Smith. He was an evangelist that never had a formal education, yet he lectured at Harvard. He grew up in a gypsy camp outside of London, yet he was invited to the White House two different times. God used him to reach millions as he crisscrossed the Atlantic 45 times. And he was asked, what is the secret of an awakening? What is the secret of a revival? And this is what he said. He said, go home, lock yourself in your room, kneel down in the middle of the floor and with a piece of chalk, draw a circle around yourself and there on your knees, pray fervently and brokenly that God would start a revival within that chalk circle. Right? Where does it begin? Right here. Not in some institution, not in Washington, not in Columbia, but right here inside of me, inside of you. And then number three is stay determined. Repentance, turning is, is an ongoing process. Repentance is really being sorry about your state in your life. It's having a holy dissatisfaction with yourself. When you recognize that you're not the man that God wants you to be yet, you're not the woman God wants you to be yet. You see, a satisfied soul becomes a stagnant soul. And skippy repentance leads to shallow faith. Be determined. Don't give up. Don't fall back. Don't, don't quit. Be determined to keep going. Will you pray a soaking prayer for five months, for eight months, for 10 months, for 12 months, for however long that God says to pray, that God says, stay with me, stay near, stay low, stay determined. And then I would say, fourthly, we got to stay ready. That when God's spirit breaks, when God's spirit moves, when awakening comes, we got to go. We got to move. When God says go, go. When God says serve, serve. When God says share, share with no shame. When God says go change the culture, go change the culture. When God says reveal that Jesus is real, go tell the people that Jesus is real. Demonstrate it with how you live your life. Be exceptional in the ordinary. Be a servant in the streets. We share that the gospel of Jesus can bring peace to the world. Do you believe that? Do you believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ can bring peace to the world? Do you believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ can change social injustice? Do you believe that the gospel of Jesus can transform this community? That the gospel of Jesus can address opiate addictions? Do you believe that God's gospel has the power to change this community, this county, and this country? When God awakens his spirit in each of us, we will. We will. Why not now? 
Why not here? Why not us? And I love God's response to this simple thing of staying low, staying near, staying determined and staying ready. God hears. (laughs) He hears. God hears unhindered prayer. What is unhindered prayer? It is prayer that has begun with confession and repentance. It's unhindered by sin. God hears that prayer. Then God helps. God forgives. God guides. He equips. He anoints. He sends. And then God heals. He restores. He makes things right. Now, there are signs of awakening that uh, Tom Phillip talks about, that whenever there's an awakening, these certain things happen. And, and we know these, many of these things are missing in our culture, in our country. When there's a great awakening, there's an authority of Scripture. We start believing in the authority of Scripture. We don't see Scripture as a suggestion. We don't see it as something that is outdated. When when there's a great awakening, we begin to revere the Word of God. There's a centrality to the cross. We recognize that it was Jesus' death on a cross that saves all of us. We can't save ourselves. There's a restored devotion and prayer life. There's explosive faith-sharing and then there is corporate social change. Folks, if, if, if the culture is not being changed, then God's power is not in it. It always involves change, moving us toward the, becoming the people, the community, the county, the country that God wants us to be. So I ask you this morning, will you stay low? Will you stay near? Will you stay determined? Will you stay ready? Will you ask God to give you an aching for an awakening? Will you draw a circle around your prayers and you pray in that circle, God, do it in me. Do this in me. Pour out your spirit upon me. On April 11th, 1912, you may know that date if you're a history buff or you're one of those trivia people. That's when the Titanic set sail. And on board the Titanic was an evangelist from Scotland named John John Harper. He was sailing with his five-year-old daughter. He was traveling to the U.S. to preach at a great awakening that was going on in Chicago at Moody Church. He had a passion for God, and yet he found himself on the Titanic on that historic voyage. Now, you may know the story of the Titanic, but you may not know the story of John Harper. Watch this. On the evening of April 14th, as passengers danced in the ballroom and tried their luck at the card tables, John Harper put his daughter to bed and read his devotions, as he did every night. At 11.40 p.m., the Titanic struck an iceberg. The unsinkable ship was doomed. Either in disbelief or unaware at the time, passengers continued about their pleasures. It wasn't until the ship's crew sent up a series of distress flares, lighting up the moonless night, that passengers finally realized the seriousness of their situation. Then chaos ensued. It all happened so fast that John Harper could only react. His response left an historic example of courage and faith. Harper awakened his daughter, picked her up, and wrapped her in a blanket before carrying her up to the deck. There he kissed her goodbye and handed her to a crewman who put her into boat number 11. Harper knew he would never see his daughter again, 
and his daughter would be left an orphan at six years of age. Harper then gave his life jacket to a fellow passenger, ending any chance of his survival. While the light of otherworldly ambitions began to flicker and die, John Harper's burned even brighter. As the sounds of terror and mayhem continued, Harper focused on his God-given purpose. Survivors reported seeing him on the upper deck, surrounded by terrified passengers, on his knees, praying for their salvation. At 2.40 a.m., the Titanic disappeared beneath the North Atlantic, leaving a mushroom-like cloud of smoke and steam above her grave, and tragically, over 1,000 people, including Harper, fighting for their lives in the icy water. He managed to find a piece of floating wreckage to hold on to. Quickly, he swam up to every person he could find, urging those about him to put their faith in Jesus Christ. While death forced others to face the folly of their life's pursuits, John Harper's goal of winning men to Jesus Christ became more vital. Soon, John Harper began to succumb to the sea. Even in his last moment, this tireless man of undying faith continued his life pursuit of winning lost souls. I am a survivor of the Titanic. I was one of only six people out of 1,517 to be pulled from the icy waters on that dreadful night. Like the hundreds around me, I found myself struggling in the cold, dark waters of the North Atlantic. The wail of the perishing was ringing in my ears when there floated by me a man who called to me, Is your soul saved? I heard him call out to others as he and everyone around me sank beneath the waters to eternity. There alone in the night, with two miles of water under me, I cried to Christ to save me. I am John Harper's last convert. So my friends, John Harper knew the meaning of staying low, staying near, staying determined, and staying ready. There are people that are in our world, in our culture, in our country that are dancing the night away at the card tables, going through life, just having a great time. But disaster is, is looming. It's on the horizon. And God is looking for men and women and young people just like you to spread the message of his love. That God has a plan, a purpose for your life, more than just games and facades. An awakening comes when God's people stay low, stay near, stay determined, and stay ready. Awakening always comes with a fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit. And when God's Holy Spirit comes, God does something new. You may think of a revival and an an awakening as something that happened in your past. I tell you what God is doing today may look di totally different than what it looked like in the past. And the question is, are you willing to do whatever God says do? Are you willing to go wherever God says go? I've been praying this morning or praying throughout for this morning that there would be an awakening here at Mount Horeb. Bill and I prayed together about that. I also was kind of concerned as I thought about this message and how, how God laid it on my heart that we would preach it on the weekend of July 4th, <laughs> probably our lowest attended weekend. But then God reminded me that it's not about institutions. 
It's about individuals. It's not about crowds. It's about souls. And God can move in one person today. God can start on an awakening that will change the world and someone here today and several of you if you will take seriously his call. Now, there is great power when the Holy Spirit comes and we're going to stand in worship and we're going to sing and pray and ask the Holy Spirit to come. The Holy Spirit to come and set you free to be the person God wants you to be. Would you stand? Father God, speak to us. Holy Spirit, come. Awaken in each of us a hunger for you and a passion for you to love you and to serve you. Even for those who are sinking beneath the surface. In Jesus' name, we ask you to come.